Do you ever feel like you're going through life so fast that you're just missing everything? Well, there might be an answer. Welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Today, I'm joined by Randy Hain. He is the author of this wonderful book called Being Fully Present. In this book, he shares his personal stories and reflections, and by doing so, he teaches us how we can do the same. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, Randy, it is a privilege to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being with me. My pleasure, Anthony. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. And I am really looking forward to talking about your book. It's called Being Fully Present for everyone listening, everyone watching. You can see it. Uh, I've gone through it and I've thoroughly enjoyed going through this book. It's very relatable because all of these stories are your own stories. These are your experiences and encounters. And you are basically sharing your reflections on things that you've experienced in your life really eye-opening. Even though it's an easy read, it is a very deep and thought-provoking read. And if you get the book, you might be able to go through it in a day or two, but I would highly recommend that people take their time going through this book and actually ponder everything that you share and reflect themselves as they go through these reflections that you've presented in this book. So while I recommend everyone listening and watching get this book, uh, I saw that you even have Tim Elmore. He wrote the book Generation IY, which is a book I would recommend, Generational Mm -hmm. Expert. While that's a great recommendation, I have to say that I had this book on the kitchen counter the other evening and my wife walked into the kitchen, saw the book, opened it up, thumbed through a few of the pages, and then she said, and I quote, I would read this book. So if my wife would read this book, if you are watching and listening, you have to get the book because my wife is never wrong. So we're going to have some fun talking about everything in this book today, Randy. Before we do that, just so everyone has a bit of a context about um, where you are in life and maybe the perspective that you have written some of these things from, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. How long have you been married? How many kids do you have? What are you currently working on professionally? Where -hmm. are you at? Sounds good. So um been married 29 years to Sandra and uh, I've got two adult sons. My older son Alex is 29 or 26 rather. My younger son Ryan is 22 and uh getting married next year. So I think grandchildren are in the future. And uh, I'm an executive coach uh, professionally. So I work with executives with the Fortune 5000 companies and I also do a lot of leadership consulting, leadership uh, development for teams. So I've got two businesses, Serving Partners is where I do my coaching, Leadership Founders where I do a lot of the leadership development work. And uh, I write books and uh, do my best to serve the community and my church community uh, as I can. Yeah, I think that's wonderful talking about faith and looking at what you do mm-hmm. all the time. I think it's wonderful because we have such a huge biblical principle of helping and serving others. And that is basically what you get to do day in and day out. So I commend you on doing that and, you know, being blessed enough to be able to do that. Um, So let's get into the book. Sure. Being fully present. I think as far as I'm concerned, the first time I heard about the book, and I would imagine that fathers listening in will have the same perspective that I have. When we think about being fully present, Mm -hmm. 
we think about this in the context of our children. We think about this of, okay, I'm a dad, I am hustling. And that is, that word hustle has almost become engraved in our culture today. Everyone's hustling to make the most of what they can. And if they already have a full-time job, they have a side hustle. It's just everyone is caught into this busyness of life. And sometimes our family gets the back burner. And for dads, this is one of the things that we come to recognize with our kids. And so when we think about being fully present, I think initially as a dad, I'm going to contextualize this with my kids. How do I be fully present with my children in every moment? But one thing that I enjoyed about the introduction of your book is you actually expand on the definition of what it is to be fully present. Can you share that for everyone? Yeah, I think um, you're going down exactly the the path that I would have gone down, you know, if I were picking the book up for the first time. But as I as I think about being fully present, it's not just being in the moment and being a great listener and paying attention, all the things that you would expect. I think it's also being intentional about cultivating silence, you know, trying to find opportunities to put your electronic pacifier away, you know, no phones. Uh, really be in the moment, listening, taking notes, uh, asking questions, paying attention to your audience. But to your point about expanding the definition, being fully present can also be reflecting on memories. Uh, I do a lot of that in the book where I reflect on things that happened years ago. I journal a lot. So I'm often writing down things that struck me, hit me uh, at various points in my life. And I'm always trying to go back and mine for gold. I'm always looking yeah. for the lessons. And if there was one sort of mantra I would give you, I spent years chasing what was in front of me, but I probably have spent the last 20 years spending more time thinking about where I've been and trying mm -hmm. to learn the lessons from the past. So uh, I listen, I, I love strategy and I love thinking about where I'm going, but I also value highly just thinking about what I've learned. I love history and I love to think about what I have learned in my past. Yeah, I loved the expansion that you gave on being fully present that you just talked about, because it's very easy for us to just get wrapped in with what we're at, what we're dealing with right now in the moment, especially as fathers, with that being a core identity that we hold, we can almost get stuck there. And there's other things for us to see, other things that we've gone through, reflections that we need to make, and then other things that happen around us that if we just pay attention to, we can learn a lesson from. And you do a wonderful job going through many of those things in this book. Now, early on, you also talk about the importance of what you call the encounter. Can you elaborate on what that is? You and I are having an encounter right now. Um, you know, I'll go to the, I'll go to Publix later and run an errand for my wife and I'll encounter a, a grocery clerk. I'll encounter uh, a memory. I'll, in, I'll encounter our Lord in prayer this afternoon because I usually pray at the end of my workday. Encounters are with people, situations, the Lord, it, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And I think that we are often, to your point earlier, so busy racing from thing to thing that we forget to enjoy the encounters. You know, I've had I've had some incredibly meaningful conversations with people on elevators before, just because I take the time to say hello, be courteous, try to be kind. And you're just it's a it's unbelievable what comes out of those quick conversations. So I think if we're just paying attention to where we are, what we're doing, situations and people, and again, maybe uh, your prayer time with God can yield fruit. And I think that that fruit is what makes life interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to maybe state that in just another way, just to understand that you don't need to go through life 
and treat everything as if it is a checklist item. A lot of people do that even in circles of faith. They think, okay, I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray every day. And so they set aside five minutes to read the Bible, 10 minutes to pray, and then they're done. And then God is just absent from their mind for the rest of the day. And there's there's no reflection. There is no time where they just meditate and chew on the word. Even if I think it would be more... I think it would be more beneficial for an individual to read a single verse a day and just chew on that verse throughout the day than it would be for them to say, I have to read my five verses today and then I'm done. Uh, I think they would get so much more out of that. So that's, that's a, I think it's a great way for us to think about life as it's filled with these encounters that we have all the time with mm-hmm. different things, people, situations, God. Um, I, li- I really like that explanation that you provide. Anthony, one thing I'd add just for a little more color, yeah. when you go a little further with this idea of the encounter, if you take it one step further, we're also talking about extracting value. And I think that's a really important point to make. Yes, I've met you. Yes, we're talking. Yes, I've had all these things happen today. But you've got to go that extra step and say, where is the value? Maybe I'm receiving the value. Maybe even more importantly, I'm providing the value. Maybe I'm giving something to someone else in that moment. So it's not enough just to slow down and say, okay, I need to pay more attention. But look for where's the value, again, either giving or receiving it. And I think that's an important point to make is, as your listeners think about how do I apply this in my life, go from just a meeting and, and talking to people to I really want to get something or give something special here. Yeah. And and I will add on top of that, like you said, maybe more importantly, what am I providing or what am I and what am I giving? Um it is more blessed to give than to receive. And sometimes we forget that because it's nice to get things, but in, in the small experiences that I have had where I have been able to give, they far outweigh anything material that I can be given. So um, beautiful point to add. Sure. Uh, let's, let's get into the book a little bit because uh, you share some wonderful stories and I, I picked some out that I wanted to ask you about. The first one that I want to start with is actually what you open the book up with. Your first two chapters, you talk about your oldest son who is autistic and you share an encounter that happens uh, in the second chapter of the book. Now, I have a good friend of mine. Um, he's around my age, two young kids around the age of my three kids and his oldest son is autistic mm-hmm. and it was a struggle for him early on. Um, there's a big story behind that, but long story short, it was a struggle for him. And God took him down a journey early on in fatherhood mm-hmm. to get him to a place of acceptance, understanding that God has made his son the way that he has made his son. And that is something that he needs to accept and mm-hmm. to embrace. And then to be the dad that his autistic son needs him to be now based off the reading of your book, it sounds like maybe that didn't happen as early on in your life. So the story that you tell is a minister asks you, Mm. is there anything that they could pray for? And you say, pray for the healing of my son, pray that he's healed. Mm. And looking you back in the eye, he says, maybe you shouldn't pray for healing, but maybe you should pray for acceptance. Now, I imagine that was probably a bit of a gut punch in the moment, but could you talk about from your perspective, how was that journey? Because I don't imagine that, that was something that you just took, received and said, okay, that is what I will pray for. And that's what I'll do. I bet there was probably some unpacking that had to happen. So could you talk about sure. what that journey was like to achieving that state of acceptance? 
So I'll actually tie this back into something that you uh, talked about earlier when you were talking about men and the busyness of life and, and checklist. So going back about 17 years, you know, I grew up as a young man, uh, steeped in faith, grew up in a, a strong Christian family, Southern Baptist. And then I left faith for 23 years. Uh, I just walked away from, from faith. And I came back to it in a way that I have to give the credit to my son, because when Alex was diagnosed with autism 24 years ago, it began this process that I think God was able to work on me. He was able to work on me for the, the next few years. You know, do you agree that men have a wall around their hearts often? Well, I had a wall around my heart, and I think his diagnosis uh, formed a crack. And I think God worked through that crack to get to me over the years. So as the years went by, my wife and I were absolutely, we threw ourselves into giving Alex what he needed. We were busy being good parents, serving his needs, but it was almost like, okay, check the box. We've got to do these things to make sure we give our son what he needs. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we couldn't love Alex anymore. We provided for him and his younger brother, Ryan. But the reason I tell you that. I was doing everything from a busy state of mind. And when we came to that encounter with, uh, with our priest in the, in the narthex of our parish, when we came to that moment, it seemed very normal for us to say, hey, because he said, what can, we, what can I pray for? And we said, you know, pray for our family, pray for Alex to get better. And, and then he said, to your point, pray for acceptance. And what that did, it, it really just, it kind of set us back and, and really helped us understand because he made the, the finer point, you're basically saying, God, take this gift that he has given you and give it back to him and say, I want a different gift. Instead, accept the gift that you've been given and accept that you have been selected as Alex's parents. He has been chosen as your child. Accept the gift in the form it was given. So instead of saying, put it in the oven and bake it a little longer, take the gift you've been given. And he was so right, and it was so clarifying. And what's really interesting, Anthony, is as the years have gone by, that was many years ago, it's really spilled over into every area of my life where I practice acceptance now. You know, I've been chosen to be Sandra's husband, Alex and Ryan's dad. You know, they've been chosen to be my family. But also, I accept more readily the things that come at my life that are adversity or blessings in other areas of my life. So this idea of accepting God's gift, whatever form it takes, even if you don't know that it's good for you, it may look bad on the outside. I think that's an important concept that's been burned into my brain. Yeah, I, I thought that was beautiful that you shared that and hearing how you went through it. I also love the part that you shared just previously that while you did step away from faith, it was it was your son and the diagnosis of autism that ultimately kind of led you back to yes. faith. And so, you know, you reflected on all the good that came from your son with the diagnosis. Had things been different, who knows what, what would have been. But um, I think it's wonderful that you you took the time to navigate that journey with God's help to figure out that God has given me a true gift and then to actually acknowledge that and to see it. Um, acceptance is, is a big thing that I think a lot of people struggle with because we always want to pursue more. We want to pursue better. And I think, I think back on what the apostle Paul tells us or what he t says about himself, that in everything 
he's able to find himself to be content. He's able to accept what is around him and to say, you know what? I'm okay right now. God, God is still good. God's still on the throne. I might be in a jail cell, but mm-hmm. I'm content. I've accepted where I'm at, but I know, I know what is yet to come. And I think having that perspective of hope of, of what is to come uh, can give us assurance, even when we're in a place that we don't necessarily want to be in, or we're dealing with things that we don't particularly like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to hear how you navigated that journey. In the book, you also talk about something at the very end, and it's a it's a beautiful encounter that that you talk about, where you're at dinner with one of your sons, mm-hmm. and you see an older gentleman by himself. And you notice that he picks up his glass of wine, makes a toast to the seat across the table from him that is empty, and then continues on with his dinner. You find out from the server that he used to visit the restaurant frequently with his wife. She had passed away recently. Um, and, you know, you did a wonderful thing in that. Um, you paid for his meal. You wrote him a note, basically letting him know that he is seen, that he is not alone, even though it might feel that way. Uh, it's a beautiful gesture on your part. But what I wanted to ask you about this is in this in this being fully present practice that we're trying to implement as men, husbands, and fathers, mm-hmm. how do we go about balancing the, the two presented in that particular story? So yes, there are things that happened around us. And in sure. this particular instance, there's a man at another table, but also right next to you at the table is your son. There's Mm -hmm. a conversation and something to be seen there, but there's other things around. So how do we get to a place? Because I imagine as you see certain things happen, your mind is pondering this and it can be difficult to listen to words happening. How do we, how do we balance that uh, Mm -hmm. efficiently so that we can take in the things that are happening around us, but also be keen in what is right in front of us? So great question. And just to give you the physical layout of the scenario in the story, I was looking at Alex and catty corner to me was the gentleman's table. So he was literally like in my line of sight. So it wasn't really a distraction. I just, I couldn't help but see him. So as I'm talking to Alex, I see this, this really touching moment unfold where this elderly gentleman, again, hoists the, the glass and a silent toast to the empty seat. Um, and it just, I was really with Alex and I was talking to him, but it was one of those things that I'm pretty locked in when I'm talking to people. I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good, you know, focused attention, but it was one of those things that just kind of stirred my heart. And I, it's, I didn't put it in the story, but I did say, Alex, just give me a quick second as I talk to the server and learn some information about this man and on the way out, you know, and this is my son with special needs. As soon as we were done eating, he put in his uh, iPods, AirPods, and started listening to music, which is how what he does to calm himself. So I lost my audience pretty soon after he ate his meal. So a lot of this reflection came after he was kind of already kind of checked out. And I was thinking, and this this all happened in 15 minutes. And what really struck me as interesting was, this man um, really was speaking to the fragility of life and how all of us have experienced loss. It's part of the human journey. Would you agree? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. just, it's where, it's where we're going to wind up. And it just made me really think about my own mother passing 12 years ago, the people that I've lost in my life other than her. Uh, and it just really hit me. But to your point, 
you know, I'm normally locked and loaded, but I couldn't help but see this guy. But I think one of the things I would advise your audience, and this is something that every one of us, myself included, struggles with. When you sit down to a meal, again, put this away because we're checking news, checking scores. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anthony, tell me more. And we're not really paying attention. You know, don't look at the TV. Don't look at anyone. Just pay attention to the people in front of you. In our house, the TVs are off. The phones are put away at dinner time, And we talk at dinner. You know, that's where we really converse. And uh, even when my younger son comes back from Birmingham where he lives, he slips right back into our home routine and we catch up with each other. So um, I hope I'm answering your question, but it is hard to not be distracted. But it, it really starts with putting away the, the the iPhone. I think that's where it begins. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good thing. And um, I, I understand that with it being Alex, um, just because of my buddies who have sons with autism, they have their little things where it's they can mm-hmm. be there and then they need to lock away and they need to they need to kind of soothe themselves with whatever that practice is that they have. Um, so that puts you in a little bit of a different context. Uh, sure. But when I think about myself, when I have had situations like that, I do my best to try and include my kid in what's in what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if I see an opportunity, mm-hmm. which again, like you said, like it's you want to be locked in. And if there's something that catches your line of sight, that's great. You shouldn't be, you know, turning around looking for an opportunity and and, and going going about it that way. I think that's a good point to to bring out. Um, but in in the case that I have, if if my son can learn from this, if this is an opportunity for me to disciple my child. Uh, mm-hmm. by by a biblical practice, then yeah, I'm going to take the opportunity to say, hey, look at that. Hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is why we're going to do it. And mm-hmm. take a moment that I can reflect upon, but also use it as a teaching moment so that I can um, train up my child in the instruction and admonition of the Lord at the same time. Um, so I didn't know if there was anything that had happened maybe uh, with your other son, similar to that, to where it was, I'm going to include them or I'm going to do this instead. Uh, sure. Again, didn't have the full context of the story, but I was just curious because I, I know that is a balancing act. There's beautiful things right in front of us, but there's also lessons all around us. And, and you make both of those very clear in the book. Um, so, okay. Just, just to take that one step further, Anthony, um, when I got home, I immediately wrote down what I observed. The chapter you read was written probably within an hour of it occurring. It was so it was burned in my brain. And I sent it to my younger son, Ryan, in Alabama. And I said, read this. I want to talk to you about it tomorrow. So ironically, I had a chance to tell him about this beautiful story. I shared it with my wife and my sister-in-law who were visiting as well. So it did actually turn into a great teaching lesson, even for people that weren't there. One of the things that you know you probably you probably got from the book is these are very personal stories. These are things that happen, but I always try to share them because I think they might benefit others. Cause I'm sure I'm not the only one who has been through these kinds of experiences. And I want others to benefit from my hard fought lessons and hopefully a little wisdom as I get a little older. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing that obviously comes out in the book. You have a heart for people you have a heart to serve others. Um, and you have a heart that wants to give. I think that's probably the reason behind the book, as you just said, when I was reading it. I mean, no one wants to just kind of open up all the stories of their life because some things, some of the epiphanies that you have could be initially viewed as failures. 
And sometimes those are things that you're just not, you know, giddy to tell everyone like, hey, let me tell you a story about when I really messed up. It's really going to bless your life. That's typically not the approach that we have. I'm a flawed human being. I'm here to admit it. Yes, I make mistakes. But that's where we learn, right? We know we're we're not perfect. And yet many of us worry about showing up as perfect. And yet we know we're not. I, I coach my clients on that all the time. Stop chasing perfection. There was one perfect man in this world. He's gone now. He'll come back again. But right now, let's deal with the flaws that we have and make them better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is a big thing. I even try to preach that when it comes to fatherhood. Everyone wants to be the perfect dad, but there is no such thing. <laughs> there, There is no cookie cutter definition of what it is to be a perfect dad. It's completely unattainable. Our pursuit needs to be to focus in on our children, mm-hmm. see what their needs are, and then to be the dad that they need us to be. Yes. Um, the pursuit of perfection is, is vanity at this point. Um, let me ask you about one of the things that you share in this book that I think is crucial for men today, even women today, um, whether they are married or parents. Uh, this was something that you echo in the book a couple of times where you talk about this life change pivot. Uh, mm-hmm. And one example, you talk about it from the perspective of looking forward, which is a really touching chapter. And in another chapter, you talk about it from the perspective of looking back. Mm-hmm. And and basically, you get to a point in life where you find yourself convoluted with things that, in the grand scheme of things, aren't really that valuable. And I think it speaks to this question that dads often ask. It might be the most asked question of fathers is, how do I balance my life? Mm-hmm. How do I go about doing this the right way? Um, can you share some of the core values and practices that through your life you've extracted and you do your best to apply to yourself today so that you can have that balance that everyone's searching for? Absolutely. It's it's probably the, the most important question you and I could talk about today, I think, for the type of show this is. So it's a journey. Uh, it is something that I will I will be working on for the rest of my life. I don't have it all figured out. But I do, I do find comfort in some, some things that have been great practices for me. So I'm a, I'm a reformed workaholic, and that is always something that I have to deal with. I always have to face this, this idea that I love to get things done. So I'm always having to pray about that. I've got to ask God for help daily for that. But for me, it starts with what are your priorities? My priorities are crystal clear. It's God family, uh, health, relationships, and work. Work is number five. So you may be listening to that and say, well, that's crazy. You've got to support your family. There's no way that's true. I can tell you when I take great care of the other four, number five, work thrives. My businesses thrive. I'm blessed to have very successful businesses. I'm grateful for that. But I think I know it's because my prayer life, my relationship with my wife and children, my health and my relationships with friends and, the, and other people, neighbors, uh, is, is always first. And it wasn't always like that. I used to really strive for balance before I had faith. And I tried to balance work and family. And it was a wrestling match every day. It, in fact, it was a wrestling match that nobody could win. I could never win. So when I finally abandoned that fruitless battle and focused on prioritization, 
it all clicked for me. So I'll give you just a glimpse of a typical day. I get up very early. My father was a drill sergeant in the army. So I get this honestly, but I get up at 445 every day. I don't let my feet hit the floor without my initial prayer of the day. Uh, in, in my faith tradition, we call it the heroic minute. I don't let my feet hit the floor until I've asked the Lord for guidance and help uh, for the day. I go downstairs, have coffee, and I pray for another 15 or 20 minutes. That's to begin the day. Then I do some spiritual reading. I do some writing. And I don't even touch work until about 7 a.m. 7 o'clock, I am fortified. I've had breakfast, coffee, need lots of coffee, and my prayer time. And then I really aggressively go at it. But I'm a high-functioning introvert, and I've got to make sure that I relieve some of the stress of that. So I work out at lunch every day. I do a Peloton workout. I work out at my house a lot. And then I go all afternoon until the end of the day. And then I get my son, Alex, and we go for a two or four mile walk where I do more prayer. Evening time is dinner time. Uh, we do something together as a family. And then we pray as a family at night. That is my typical day every day. Uh, and yes, things come up, meetings happen. I've got to adjust my schedule. But if you're listening and you've got a different kind of life, you're at a corporate office or whatever, you can still figure out how to prioritize your day. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what are my priorities? And do I honor those with the way I schedule my time? That would be my my answer to your question. Yeah, I think that's I think it's spot on with with a, a biblical approach to to balancing everything out, having that priorities in the right place. It's just like you mentioned, you know, what do you what do you prioritize the most? Your priorities typically identify the things that you value and mm -hmm. it, those values identify what you identify to be. I mean, for myself, similar to you, I identified to be a Christian, a husband and a father. And so those are the top three things that I value and those values determine where I'm going to devote my time. They determine my priorities. I had a... Um, I had a bit of an eye-opening experience somewhat recently in prayer, just thinking about everything that I'm trying to do in life, some with the podcast, with other ventures, on and on. And uh, I think God helped me to see something uh, that's in line with what you're talking about here. And that was, you know, if I am first a Christian, then I have to remember I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. The things that I'm doing, I'm on his mission. And so I should have a very kingdom centric approach to everything that I'm doing. Secondly, as a husband, as a husband, if I'm, as Paul said, to love my Christ as, or to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, I should be looking for opportunities and for ways in which I am giving and serving my wife. So whatever it is that I'm going to do in life, I should ask myself the question, does this please God? Mm -hmm. And will this serve my wife? And if I can't answer those two questions, then I don't even need to go to the third question, which as a father, I'm a disciple maker. So is, does this help me train up my children in the instruction and admonition of the Lord? If not, then I'm doing everything out of a selfish intent. And I don't think selfishness ever yields true prosperity. You might make some money, but if you lose your family and you lose your faith at the expense of a dollar, you know, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have, what have you really accomplished? That's, that's what the Bible gets us to think about. And mm -hmm. so I, I like I like what you shared um, by really gravitating to those priorities mm -hmm. and then focusing on those. 
um, and having the daily routine. I think it's a wonderful thing that you do before your feet ever hit the floor. You're, you're, you're praying to God, um, guide me through this day. I, I will do my best to do that, uh, but I am not a morning person. So when I wake up, uh, I have to figure out who I am. So I might have to start there. But um, thank you for sharing kind of your run through throughout the day. I think that's enlightening and super helpful. I want to ask you this. Sure. You talk, you talk about something in the book that I think is is great for us to be mindful of as individuals. And you present... <clears throat> Two, you present two options. You can be grumpy, or you can be grateful. Yes, and I, I think I think this is so great because uh, this is so often where we fall. Uh, typically, if you start, if something bad happens within your day, it's almost one hundred percent sure that you will go through the rest of that day saying this is bad, and that was bad, and this was horrible, and this made things worse. And everything just constantly cascades into this big grumpy emotion. Um, but you present the other side of the coin or the other option really of gratitude. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what inspired inspired you to write this reflection in the book? You know, I have always been a cup is half full kind of guy. So optimism is not a stretch for me. But I think uh, I think the origins of the story probably happen in the final stages of the pandemic, not to be named. Um, so, uh, you know, I just was dealing with people every single day that were hacked off, angry, upset about everything. And I'm sick of being home. I'm sick of COVID. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm sick. And listen, I'm not saying that their gripes were not legitimate, but, you know, we have a choice every day. And I don't know about you, but. Can you ever think about a great day when you were grumpy? Like if you're feeling that way, it brings you down. It's filled with negativity. Uh, it reflects poorly on your character. People around you become grumpy. There's no good. There's no upside to it. So I've always had this mindset, and I get it from my mother and father, who are also very positive people. You've got a choice, and my choice that I advocate for and talk about in the story is to choose gratitude. Now, it's easy to be grateful for your blessings. When good things happen, that's the easy stuff. But I would also advocate that you be grateful for your challenges. I'm grateful that I have a son with special needs who every day inspires me. I'm grateful that I have a, you know, a younger son that's trying to figure out life. He's graduated from college, engaged to be married, got his first job. You know, he's got a, he's, it's a, it's a tough road, but I'm grateful just to watch him and, and know that he's a good kid. I could just go on and on and on. And in that story, I talk about, I choose not to be grumpy. I make a different choice. You can make a different choice. And every day you've got to be cognizant. You know, if you think about the book, be fully present. If you're fully present, you're likely to recognize the things that you should be grateful for. In fact, I don't go to sleep at night until I have just in my mind either prayed about or thought about three things this day that I am specifically grateful for. And the, sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they change. I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm grateful to meet you. You know, all kinds of gratitude. But you've got to make the choice. And listen, this is not some Pollyanna pie in the sky thing. It really is a decision that you just have to make. And guess what, dads? Your kids are watching you. And if you're grumpy, it's going to reflect on them. It's going to change their mood, how they see the world. Their worldview is informed by our worldview. So if my worldview is gratitude, guess what? My kids are likely to be the same. 
Yeah. I think that's, that's so important. And I, I love, I love that you emphasize that it is a choice because it truly is a choice one way or the other. And I think that's biblically rooted as well. I think you can easily look at Philippians four and you can see that, um, Paul writes Philippians from a prison cell, not one of the nice ones that we have today, but a dungeon where he's basically dropped and forgotten in. And he's writing from there. And his whole central idea of Philippians is to rejoice. But I love what he says in reference to specifically what we're talking about with being grumpy or gratitude. He says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't let anything cause you to feel anxiety, but rather go to God in prayer with thanksgiving or with gratitude. And after you've done that, then the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And so, you know, to your point, when you start to express gratitude, it almost becomes contagious Mm -hmm. in and of itself to where you're guarded from everything that's going on around you that's chaotic. And you're looking at the good. You're seeing what is virtuous. You're seeing what's life-giving. You're, you're seeing the things that I think God wants you to see most. And I think you talk about so much of that in the book. Um, but it all stems from making that choice that you're talking about of not being grumpy, but being grateful for what's right in front of you. Yes. What did Paul say? Despite all our sufferings, we rejoice. You know, yeah. despite all, and, and he had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked. He had been whipped, and he was rejoicing in his sufferings. Uh, what a great example for all of us! Yeah, yeah, we're nowhere close to that. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> grateful <laughs> I will for express that. I will express gratitude that our life is nothing like um, that Greco-Roman culture that Roman, that uh, the Apostle Paul found himself in. But um, yeah, I will. I'm, I'm grateful for the first world problems that we get to kind of navigate. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's another thing that I want to ask you about. You mentioned this early on when we started this conversation, and you wrap up the book with this, and you talk about the significance of silence and solitude. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I think this is a wonderful point, and I'd love for you to expand on this. One, it's it's not isolation. I don't want people to get the the misunderstanding that we're talking about isolation because I think that can be very dangerous to our health and well being. But taking the time to get away from all the distractions mm-hmm. and to just be in silence, be in solitude, and how to use that time. If you could talk a little bit about that and then maybe tell us what you do with that time yourself and how often you make the time to have that solidarity. So this is going to be very countercultural, very countercultural. Um, today's world is just filled with busyness. Busyness at home, busyness at work, busy, busy, busy. And listen, I live in that culture. I work in that culture. I have to make a living and and take care of my family in that culture. But I want you to think about every day we start with a uh, like a battery and our battery gets drained of energy if we're not careful. If we don't refill the battery, we're going to run out of energy by the end of the day. And for me, one of the things that is very life-giving, very energizing, is to find moments of silence. I feed off it as a source of comfort and energy. So I am very intentional every single day about finding it. I already gave you one example. I get up early at least two hours before my family, at least two hours. I've got the run of the house. It's me and two cats. 
and it is just silence. And I love it because during the day, I am fully engaged like this, working with executives and their teams. I travel all over Atlanta. I'm doing virtual meetings. I'm busy. But in the morning, I begin the day with the clarity of mind, the, the, the time just to be with God, to be with my thoughts. That's also when I'm most creative. I also create lots of silent time walking in the woods. We are blessed near our home to have a lot of trails, a lot of uh, park area. So I will, every chance I get, grab Alex or go by myself, and I will walk and pray in the woods. There's something about nature that really stimulates that deeper thinking. Uh, you know, my kids grew up hiking. They love hiking. But when Alex was growing up, there weren't a lot of sports that he was interested in, but he could always hike. So he and his younger brother always would, every Saturday, we'd go hike for a few miles, grab Chick-fil-A and come back. And that was our, that was our father-son's activity. So I would encourage your listeners to cultivate silence, even if it's in one little room in your house where you go find a few minutes each day just to be alone with your thoughts and, and more importantly, alone with God. You will benefit from it. Those around you will benefit from it. But I, I work every day to find that time, and I do it daily. But quick aside, there's a joke in our family. I am the biggest geek about taking pictures of sunrises and sunsets. I get up long before dawn to go out. Wherever we're traveling, I've got to capture a picture of the sunrise, and I will go out and get the sunset picture because I just find those moments to be beautiful, often I'm by myself. But um, I've just learned as I get older, I need that. And I'm looking to find as much of it as I can. And it brings me a lot of peace. Yeah, I I find myself doing the same thing. I don't always take the picture, but if I can take a, take a moment to step outside and just look, I think it serves as a good reminder to us as people of faith, because it's like the psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. You get to go out there and you just get to see God is good. This is this is a just a beautiful tapestry that he has just expanded. And I, I get to see it. It's, it's something that I can be grateful for every single day. Mm -hmm. um, there, there really is something to being out and observing nature, God's creation, and then having that, that silence of just, let me think and let me just meditate on maybe what God is trying to say to me or what has happened throughout the day. Um, I find myself just in the current situation of life often doing that most while I'm driving. Now, if there's a moron in front of me, that quickly gets turned turned off. But typically, the um, where I have to drive, it's 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 pretty even keel. So I never turn the radio on. Rarely ever listen to anything in the car. It's just me and my thoughts, prayer time. I think that's one of the best times that you can take advantage of if you. Uh, or have a very hectic schedule, you have to drive at some point, right? So take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but I, I think that's great every single day to make sure you get that time. Um, and I love how you kind of spread it throughout the day to just almost re-energize yourself for the next moments, the next encounters that you will have throughout the day. I think that uh, is really wise. I, I appreciate the wisdom, again, that you, that you give and that you share. Um, because if, if the book is accurate, which I think it is, uh, you're in your fifties. And so you have, as far as I'm concerned, been where I'm at going through a lot of things that I will probably go through and you have seen the world probably largely from my perspective, 
historically in your life and you can reflect on these things and you can write them in a book and you can make them available to people like myself, fathers like myself. And I think that's a wonderful gift. And I'm really grateful uh, you. that you have, that, that you have done this. Uh, I will ask you um, before I ask you my little legacy question, is there anything in the book being fully present that we haven't discussed that you think would be really important for dads to hear? You know, I think, um, as, as I think about once being a, a, a young father, you know, a father with young kids, my kids are grown now, although my oldest son still lives with us. I just remember so many years of racing from thing to thing, kids activities, doctor visits, therapy visits, work. I mean, it was always just a, a race, a race that never had a, a conclusion. And I think my, 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 advice as you maybe pick up the book and kind of go through it is to recognize how I kind of saw it as I'm doing what I think is necessary, but I was always craving a different way to do it, a better way to do it. And what you're seeing in my fifties and what you're seeing reflected in this book is I finally found a way to, to navigate that better as I got older. If you're a 25 year old dad and you're just getting started and you know, you, you have no idea where to begin it can seem really difficult. This conversation may not be resonating with you, but I think over time, if you'll just ask people maybe that know more than you, go to those older dads that have wisdom, uh, pray about this a lot. Don't forget that your wife is often a, can, an incredible source of wisdom if you'll just ask her more often. Um, but I think if we will just ask good people that know, trust our gut, pray to the Lord, you're going to get more and more clarity about how to bring things down to a reasonable pace. Because when you're a young dad, um, the pace is overwhelming at times. So I went through that journey. It's very obvious in the book, I went through it and I'm on the other side of it, I think now, but I still pray about it. So I think just trying to find your pace and just remember it's okay to say no. Uh, one example, my younger son was not that interested, but he had a chance to be on a traveling lacrosse team when he was younger. And you know what travel baseball is like, tra you know, all these travel teams. The families I know that do it are all consumed. They don't have a life. And Ryan, I said, Ryan, I wanna, I wanna let you make this decision. I'll support you, but I wanna tell you what you're going to have to give up for this to happen. And he chose not to do it. And I'm really grateful because I think he learned that he could say no. I wasn't gonna superimpose my dreams on my son. And he made a decision not to do it. But I think sometimes you've got to say no to some activities to preserve the good of the family. So I hope there's an answer in there somewhere, but these are just things that come to mind. No, I think those were great tips, great piece of advice, things that I have, I'll say I, I've started down the journey to understand and learn and beginning to prove those things to be true. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, the time that we have had talking about your book, I want to give people an opportunity to learn more about you. Before we do that, though, let me ask you this question. Sure. Best piece of advice that you would share with dads today? Wow. Um, you know, it's probably uh, I give talks to men's groups sometimes and, and I'm often uh, ending those talks with this advice. So I'll just give you the same advice. Three things come to mind. Make sure that your children know that you love your wife. 
Make sure that you show her affection. They see that you love your wife and you care for your wife and that she is truly your partner. Your kids need to see that love evident every day. Two, make sure your kids pray with you and they see you on your knees in prayer. If you want your kids to be faith-filled kids with prayer lives, they need to see dad on his knees in prayer. Third bit of advice, give your kids time. They don't want the gadgets. They don't need the, the big toys. They just want time with dad. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this play out with clients and friends who thought they were giving their kids everything with expensive toys and trips when all that they kids really wanted was time with dad. And, you know, the thing that the thing that I would leave you with that brings all these three things together is your children will grow up to be exactly what they observed when they were growing up. They will get older and they will remember these years and they will become what they observe right now. So every day you have a chance, a choice really, to be the role model and the example that you want your kids to follow. It's a heavy lift, guys. It's a heavy burden, but it is the best burden. It is the greatest gift to be a dad. That's my advice. Yeah. Beautiful advice. And I will just echo that, that final sentiment. Yeah, it can be tough, yeah. but it is so, it is so worth it. Um, you're further along and you can say that probably a little louder than I can, but even from where I'm at, I can still say it's worth all the hard work. I, I saw something just, oh, just the other day, it was an article, people who are married and don't have kids by choice uh, they call themselves Dinks, D-I-N-K, um, which sounds like something that I would call a dummy, but they call themselves Dinks, and uh, they're boasting apparently on TikTok predominantly that they can do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it with all the money that they make, and that's good for them. That's their choice. They get to do that, but there's no amount of money. There's no level of convenience. There is no trip around the world or round of golf that I would ever trade over being a dad, so um, it's the best life as far as I'm concerned. And it's a blessed life indeed. Um, Randy, again, thank you so much for, for being vulnerable and transparent enough and willing enough to put your thoughts and your reflections and your life in a sense together in this book, being fully present. I highly recommend it. Easy read, but very provoking read. And again, take your time going through this book. If you get this book, um, and just like Randy said a moment ago, your wife can be an incredible source of wisdom. Uh, my wife is a great source of wisdom, and she would read this book. So it will happen. So if she will do it, you should do it too. Um, you can get a copy of this book. I'll make sure that there's a link in the description of this episode for you. Randy, I'm so grateful to have met you and to have this conversation. Uh, for those listening who would like to maybe learn more about you or have the opportunity to follow you and the things that you're doing, is there anywhere that they can go, website, social media platform? Probably the best place to go would be follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a big presence there. I do a lot of work there. I post a lot of articles and things. But also my website for my company is serviampartners.com, S-E-R-V-I-A-M, partners.com. Those are your best venues. And uh, yeah, I'd welcome anybody to follow and engage with me anytime. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'll make sure that they have that information in the in the show description as well. Uh, Randy, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together. And again, thank you for this book being fully present. I think that this is, this is truly going to be 
uh, a tool. It's going to bless a lot of people, but I think it can be a really great tool for dads to have and for dads to go through. Highly recommend this book. Um, thank you so much again for your time. Really appreciate it. God bless. Have a good Christmas. Yes, sir. You too. So you got a taste of what is in the book. And I will tell you again, I recommend that you get this book being fully present. I am not a huge reader when it comes to having a physical book in my hands, but this book is really easy to get through. But I will tell you the same thing that I will tell you if you go through my little book, Cut the Crap. Take your time going through this book, being fully present. As you go through chapter by chapter, typically at the end of the chapter, not always, but in some cases, there are probing questions that will get you to think and that will get you to reflect on what you have read and how you can apply it to your life. If you were going through life and it feels like everything is going so fast that you're just missing all the beautiful stuff that's happening, it might just be a matter of you needing to stop, needing to slow down, and needing to actually think about what's been going on and reflect. Maybe you journal. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you just have solitude and silence, and you pray, and you just reflect, and you just think back on the day. If you will do that, I believe you'll start to see all the beautiful things that God has put in your life this book, Being Fully Present, can help you do that. You can see how Randy did it, and by seeing how he did it, I think you can learn a thing or two about how you can do it too. Again, you can get this book. There's going to be a link in the description of this episode for you, and I highly recommend it. And again, if my wife says that she would read it, everyone else should probably read it too. So go ahead and get yourself a copy of this book, Being Fully Present by Randy Hain. Thank you so much for being with me today. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time. Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.